I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. And we are two Shakespeare nerds who decided to make a podcast about our love for Shakespeare. In this podcast, we will tackle as many dimensions to Shakespeare's plays as we can by looking at the text, examining the historical context in which it was written, and how the text is viewed through modern lenses of feminism, racism, classism, colonialism, nationalism, ableism, all of the isms. We will discuss how his plays shaped both the past and present, and, as actors, how his plays can be responsibly performed today, all while trying our best to approach his works without giving in to bardolatry. So, Shakespeare, anyone? Hi, listeners. It's Courtney here. If you are listening to this episode after 2023, you might be wondering, who is this Corey Lee Smith host? When we started this podcast, I went by that stage name, Corey. I've chosen to leave my stage name, and as you know, I now go by Courtney. But before you enjoy past Elise and past Courtney's episodes in our back catalog, I wanted to clarify the name switch. Now that I've set that straight, I invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hello, listeners. This is Courtney. Elise and I are so thrilled to continue bringing episodes of Shakespeare Anyone to listeners like you for free. We do this out of our love for Shakespeare, theater making, scholarship, and decentering dead white men. We put a lot of hard work into research, recording, editing, and generally producing a podcast. With that said, I'm here to remind you all that we have a Patreon page if you want to support our current work and our future goals that we believe Patreon will help us achieve. We've created a variety of support levels and continue to create exclusive bonus content for our patrons on a monthly basis. Our bonus content so far includes Shakespeare Stuff We Loved This Month posts, where we share the Shakespeare-related products we are obsessing over. Not only that, but we already launched bonus episodes. One is an extension on our conversation with Dr. Simone Chess about John Lilly's Galatea and Early Modern Trans Studies. And the second is a conversation with special guest Stephanie from Protest Too Much Podcast, in which we review Joel Cohen's Macbeth starring Denzel Washington and Frances McDormand. Elise and I also discuss Shakespeare-adjacent content, like movies, TV shows, books, to name a few, and share those conversations exclusively to Patreon. These are incredible conversations you can unlock as a patron. We also have plans for additional bonus episodes, including more special guests, more film reviews, and even an Ask Us Anything. Distinguished patrons even receive exclusive voting power and snail mail. If you would like to join us and support the production of this podcast, or just check out the Shakespeare-themed names we've given the support levels, head to patreon.com slash shakespeareanyone. The link will also be in our episode descriptions. And if you like what you hear, Elise and I would greatly appreciate it if you could rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Your review might even make it on an episode. When you're done, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and then tell a friend. Word of mouth is our best form of advertisement. Thank you for listening and all of the support you give us and the podcast. Now, on to the episode. Hi, Hi Corey. <laughs> oh, in unison this time. This time. <laughs> We've been doing this 
a whole year. Times. Yeah. Oh, that is true. Yeah. One whole year of podcasting. I guess almost when this comes out. But Just about. a whole year. Almost a year for the listeners, a year for us. How do you feel? It's been quite the ride. I feel like we've learned a lot, both about Shakespeare and about podcasting. Mm-hmm. It's been interesting to have gone from kind of this mid-pandemic new hobby into like, how do we keep doing this as our careers start up again? Yeah, a bit of DIY scholarship is kind of how I view what we're doing right now. Yeah. And also just figuring out how do the logistics change as our lives are in different places than they were when we started. Yeah. You're literally in a completely different... I'm literally in a new city. Still recording in closets, though. Of course. Yeah, we haven't gotten there yet. But that's okay. This is fun. Yeah. Because it's been about a year and two Shakespeare plays, we have decided to end... 2021 by revisiting both Macbeth and Twelfth Night, having a conversation about the things that we've noticed after a whole series of diving deep into topics that are so specific and only looking at those for the episodes. And also, what are things that we now notice that we didn't notice before that we could discuss further if we revisited the series as a whole? Yeah. Starting today with Macbeth. Mm -hmm. Our first play. The first play. We both reread the plays and Mm -hmm. made notes, as you were saying, on things that we noticed because of our reading and our DIY scholarship. Uh But we both did it in kind of a similar way, which is that we started taking notes in kind of chronological order of the play and thoughts that we were having as we were reading. I just want to say, for a first scene, we've talked about how Shakespeare's Globe, in performance, a lot of times these first scenes were trying to get attention of the audience. Uh-huh. This play, whether it was performed at court or Blackfriars, for a first scene between the thunder and the witches and how quick of a scene it is, I feel like it must have gotten attention pretty quickly. It's a banger of a first scene. Now that you say that, I'm imagining how quickly the audience, the groundlings and all of the other audience members would have stopped and looked up and seen these bearded witches and heard this thunder and would have been like, what is going on? And I agree with you because the sound effects, the stage effects. Literal canon starting this show. Yeah. This isn't like the start of Romeo and Juliet where we have these characters just kind of walking Walking on on, stage and kind of talking and then starting a fight. Like this is starting at the actual top of the show. So I just wanted to like know like what a banger of a scene. Yeah. (laughs) Literally. And with that, I noticed so much more of the specificity of the witchcraft, especially of the King James and the Scottish type with the numbers three and nine, the mention of familiars, the quote in a sieve. That's actually Mm -hmm. something that King James specifically said was a way that witches could, I think it was travel. Right. The mention of wind, body parts, vanishing in the air, spells and charms and toad venom. This play is ripe with very specific witchcraft. So William Shakespeare must have read demonology. Mm -hmm. It's also interesting that like you talk about the numbers of witchcraft, three and then nine. We talked about the idea fair is foul being a direct quote from one of the conspirators in the gunpowder plot. It's obviously said in this first scene by the witches. 
And then the word foul is repeated throughout the play. So including fair is foul, uh-huh. the incantation in 1-1. One, one. Mm-hmm. 3-1 also includes the word foul. And 5-1 includes the word foul. Act 2, scene 1 is the appearance of the dagger. And Act 4, scene 1 is the apparitions, which yeah. also, by the way, feels like a sabbat, yeah. which is sabbat just straight out of demonology. Mm-hmm. So both of those have some sort of otherworldly thing. When foul doesn't appear. Wow. The word fair appears in 5-9, the final scene of the play after Macbeth's death. The last scene you mean when um, Malcolm is talking about how Scotland is going to unify and it's going to be right. stronger and better. Okay. Right. So. Huh. It seems like these words are placed in intentionally. Right. That's cool. It feels very intentional. It feels very like we hear fair is foul. Then like we're just constantly reminded that things are foul. Foul. There is witchcraft here. And yeah. then once this character's dead, we can hear it's fair, fair again. again. Oh, wow. Speaking of fair is foul and foul is fair, the gunpowder plot and the treason plot line was so much clearer in my second read. I mean, I've read this Mm -hmm. play a few times for the series, but in my post-series read, the treasonous plot of Cawdor and the gunpowder plot was so much more apparent to me. And specifically, the scaffold speech where he says he confessed his treasons, implored your highness's pardon, and set forth a deep repentance. And I was like, that is a scaffold speech. That's what these gunpowder plot conspirators and everyone else a part of any sort of conspiracy or treasonous attempt at overthrowing a monarch would have gone through. And I was like, the actual foundation of placing treason into this play and making this a warning to those who want to commit treason against the English monarchy. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's just there. Yep. The other thing that I got that I never noticed before, we've talked about how with the gunpowder plot, it was said that James literally sniffed it out, that he Uh had a great nose, right? Of course he did. I rolled my eyes. So, like, we talked about how it's this kind of, like, in-joke that Duncan is like, oh, man, this place smells great, and he's going to get murdered there, right? Right, right. After the actual effect, smelling effect was placed on stage. Yeah, after, like, the effect's still in the air. Also, castles smell bad in general. Yeah, Mm mm-hmm. And then Duncan's like, Inverness. Yeah, lovely place. Yeah. Banquo also agrees with him and is like, yeah. I caught that too, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, Banquo also, like, isn't suspicious yet when he agrees with Duncan about how great Inverness smells and is also somebody who is going to be murdered. I think he gets murdered outside of Dunsinane once we move to Dunsinane. Because he has to, like, put his horses away and then walk back to the castle. Yeah. So I was like, oh, man, Banquo also cannot smell out Macbeth's treachery, essentially is what we're saying. Yeah. And that leads me to who actually suspected Macbeth and when, I wonder, on this read, because we see this time speed up from the like length that it takes to set up uh, the witches and the prophecies and the murder to Macbeth being king and being paranoid. And so um, I was reading, trying to suss out who actually suspects Macbeth, and it seems like not many of them actually do. Yeah, especially like before Macbeth is king, not a single person expects this of Macbeth. Yeah, I actually noticed that in Act 3, Scene 6, I wrote in my notes, Lennox is a Macbeth stan. But Lennox does stick around with Macbeth for a long time. 
And I've seen that scene played as them trying to figure out if they are both anti-Macbeth, but like in code. Ah, uh, uh-huh. Because it's like hard to believe that people would be pro-Macbeth at that point. Right. But at the same time, Lennox is still around right after the scene with the witches and the apparitions. Oh, yeah, That's because who- then isn't that Macbeth walks out and he's like, did you see three? Yeah, and yeah. Lennox is right there and is like, nope, did not. And it's like, Lennox is a Macbeth stan like, Hardcore. until Macbeth is like, did you see witches? And then Lennox is like, This Peace. is my breaking point. I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I saw heaven and hell imagery everywhere. Like, to the point of, like, this is not just a story of a man being corrupted by power. It's literally, like, this is a battle for the soul of Scotland. Yeah. There were things that I knew before, but one thing that I never read like this before was in 1-7. This is a scene where he's like, we will proceed no further in this business before the murder of Duncan. Mm -hmm. So, like, we're not going to murder Duncan. She says, what beast wast then that made you break this enterprise to me beast is a nether word for the devil yeah so what beast made you break the enterprise because the beast was who the enterprise was originally made with so enterprise meaning like this this entire thing that we're doing so what devil yeah are you you dealing with that has made you like break the original one this original plan because he's like we shouldn't do this like he's chickening out and she's saying okay so like what devil are you working with now the the promise that you're that's gonna make you break this this promise to me i get that now yeah 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 it's like a rhetorical question but using the word beast and using instead of saying acknowledgement of yeah coded in a way whoa i remember seeing a lot of heaven and hell with the words heaven and hell but the stuff surrounding heaven and hell i didn't pay as Mm -hmm. much attention to that yeah Duncan's murder is called a sacrilegious murder. His body is, I think we talked about about his body is talked about like an actual religious temple. temple. Yeah, he has silver skin lace with his golden blood. Yeah, when Macbeth is trying to rile up the murderers to go kill Banquo, he asks, are you so Mm. gospeled to pray for this man? So like using... Yeah, religious rituals. Yeah. Which does make a lot of sense because as we talked about, this play is for James. And James believed that he was, yeah, James believed that he was a crusader for God. Yeah, for Christianity. And then similarly to witchcraft, I also saw a lot of nature versus unnatural. Mm. 1-7, where Lady Macbeth obviously describes how she would do the unnatural child killing. Mm-hmm. But then there's also like, to three, the porter describes the farmer that mm. hanged himself on the expectation of plenty. Yes. Then we get, like, same scene, Lennox's description of how unnatural the night was. To four, Old Man and Ross, again, it's like, so many unnatural things are happening. Yeah. That popped out, like, so much more to me. That and specific Especially word. considering that, like, we talked about demonology and the witches, just the idea of, like, the types of things that the witches have control over. Mm-hmm. They kind of have control over the natural world. Yeah. And their power is unnatural. Yes. Uh, I think that James used that word a lot, natural and unnatural. I remember saying a mm-hmm. lot that a lot in our demonology part B, natural and unnatural. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I did read this time really 
critical of not Lady M and gender in the play, but the way people have talked about Lady M. Like I read this play looking at Lady M and started really thinking like, how is it that we have built this narrative for her when I don't see it in the text? Thank you. That stood out to me a lot. Macbeth has the idea to murder Duncan all on his own. Mm -hmm. The narrative of she completely manipulates him into doing this is so wrong. Agree. She convinces him to go through with something they agreed to do together. Mm -hmm. That he thought of in the first place. She kind of is like, hey, there's opportunity to do exactly what you're thinking to do. And he's like, oh, it's a little sooner than I thought. Mm-hmm. And she's like, when is opportunity going to strike again? Exactly. And then once he's king, she's really worried about him. Yeah. She wants things to go back to some sort of normalcy where the two of them are king and queen and they enjoy being king or queen. And mm-hmm. none of the additional murders and none of the additional chaos that happens is because of her. Yes. She does coax him into going through with his plan. And she does bully him by questioning his manhood. I will give that. However, yeah. he by far is the bigger baddie. So He is not some innocent man who is led astray by women. I smell sexism in the air. I smell a lot of sexism. Yeah. Also, he purposefully leaves Lady Macbeth out of Ev- Banquo's yeah. murder. Fleance. Yeah. When I did the show, we talked about how that relationship is not about two people who are twisted and evil and work on each other. Mm-hmm. It's about these two people who understand each other so much. Once they leave to wash the blood off their hands, they're parting, growing yeah, separation. separation between these two who can literally read each other's minds at the very beginning. Yeah, it goes from a partnership yeah. to something else. I don't know what the word is to describe their relationship. I clocked that the turnaround of Lady M's partnership in crime was around 3-2 when Macbeth tells her, be innocent of the knowledge, dearest Chuck. So murdering the king is not great. However, all of the chaos that was brought upon Scotland very much was not at the hands of her. Yeah, and that 3-2 scene is the next time we see them after 2-3 where Duncan's death is discovered and they're both kind of trying to cover it in different ways. Once he's king, it's like, how about everybody leaves so I can deal with my business? And also you, wife. Yeah. You don't need to no- know this. He no longer wants her to really be around in any sort of meaningful yeah. way. And then, yeah, like the end of the banquet scene, they are having two entirely separate conversations where she's trying to figure out what's wrong with him. And he's spiraling about Macduff not being there. And after Banquo's Ghost was just them on stage, there's just this like, what are you talking about? What is going on? All that to say, the popular narrative that exists about Lady Macbeth being evil, I don't think is there. I agree. Yeah. Just real quickly. Um, Is there anything that you read this time that you went, huh, that's interesting. I'd like to research that more. Actually, yes. I became very interested in what was a C-section like and what was childbirth like for women during early modern England. Mm -hmm. Because it's like it's such a vital part of this play. That is the plot twist. That is 
the equivocation of the witches and Macbeth's downfall. And we have two mothers as the two yeah. women in this play. We have two mothers in the play, but we have like the idea of or the presence of three because we have Lady Macbeth, whose mm-hmm. child is just dead. absent on stage, absent but- on stage, but implied dead. Uh, I don't right. feel like it actually implies, it says that she would have killed. Okay. So an absent child, but we can't determine why this child is absent. You know, also that child in real life was an adult by the time of, of the action of this play, right? Right. So. But we have a a mother who in a way is no longer a mother. We have a really good mother, Lady mm-hmm. Macduff, who has many children. And then we have a mother who died during childbirth. Right. The other Lady Macduff. Yes. So we have these three experiences with childbirth and motherhood that are very different. Mm-hmm. And I'd be interested to explore more of that to see if there's more to that. There's a lot of patrilineage. There's a lot about men and their offspring. And what was that like? What was the thought of family like in the early modern era? Right. I also saw a lot of clothes being discussed, borrowed robes, like a giant's robe upon a dwarfish thief. It's nice or nice a visual for someone who doesn't belong in a certain role at a time with some shorty laws. Yeah. And I think especially with what we've discovered about how much costuming really helped tell the stories in early modern theater. Yeah. That's what I saw. What did you see? I read a lot of harvest metaphors. Mm. Like Duncan is really heavy-handed about how the seeds that he puts into the ground will take root and have a plentiful harvest. He says something like that to Macbeth and to Banquo when he gives up Prince of Cumberland to Malcolm. Is that just referencing that eventually the King of Scotland will be James? So, like, that's literally, like, Duncan's seed. Right. Uh, Just a metaphor. James believed to be descended from both Duncan and, and Banquo. Banquo. Right. You know, or is it because of the witchcraft that like witches could have an effect on harvest? Yeah. Yeah. So I just saw a lot of like harvest or farming, agricultural references and metaphors. Yeah. Or like in 1600, was there a potato famine? Uh huh. I'm interested in finding out what's in there. What is going on? There's a lot more in there about harvest than like evil lady Macbeth. Yeah, once you like dig through all of the really apparent themes and references, witchcraft, treason, religion, there's a lot of stuff under there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's what it was like revisiting this play that I thought I knew really well because I've read this one like a hundred plus times. (laughs) I believe that. 100% believe that. Yeah. (laughs) And same for me who I'm uh, not at a hundred, but still... Now that we've had this conversation, I kind of want to reread it again to see right, these to other see things. You see what I saw in like reverse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Endless loop. Anyways, that is our revisiting Macbeth episode. Thank you for listening for a whole year. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, so much. A whole year. I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. This is Shakespeare Anyone. Thank you so much for listening to Shakespeare Anyone. Works referenced in this episode are available in the episode description. Our theme music is Never Ending Minute by Sounds Like Sander. If you would like to support us, it would help us out if you would hit the subscribe button 
like us, leave a comment, write a review, share us on social media, tell a friend about us, all the things. We'd appreciate it. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash ShakespeareAnyone. Patreon patrons get access to exclusive bonus content throughout the year. The link is also in the episode description. For more, you can visit our website, ShakespeareAnyone.com, follow us on Instagram at ShakespeareAnyonePod, or Twitter at ShakespeareAnyone. For Twitter, that's ShakespeareAny and the number one. Every other platform is spelled out like the name of the podcast. Now, because you listened all the way to the end of the credits, here's a completely random Shakespeare quote for you. From Julius Caesar, Act 2, Scene 1, Spoken by Brutus We all stand up against the spirit of Caesar, and in the spirit of men there is no blood.